Oh, yes. Welcome in to another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. I feel so bad we didn't have an episode last week. It's my fault. I, I had to bail. I went on a family trip. And, and, and guys, oh, my God, that family trip. Um, my son ended up having a great time, but it traveled me, my wife, my three-year-old son, Luca, and my parents also came with us. And then my wife was already sick, as I told you guys last week in the buildup to it. But she didn't want to cancel the trip. She wanted to try and tough it out. And then we, we arrive in Central Florida, and immediately she felt 100 times worse. She goes to urgent care. And then the next morning, my mom was feeling terrible. She went to the emergency room. Both okay. Wow. They, they, they were both fine and, and not even, you know, they all they got COVID tested. Nobody had COVID, nobody had any any sort of uh, serious issues. It, it all ended up working out for the best. It's, it's just that reaction that older adults get to Disney World. <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess so, right? <laughs> the only cure is to leave Disney World. <laughs> so thankfully, thankfully, everybody ended up okay. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Before we dive headfirst into all of it, I want to remind you guys that this show is served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh, my God. The Quarterdeck, you guys should know this by now. This is your spot to watch every UFC pay-per-view fight with zero cover charge. You pay nothing at the door. They're not going to charge you a cover. They've got TVs covering every wall, big screens, high definition. Oh, my God. It is such a great place to watch the UFC pay-per-view fights. They've got two-for-one happy hour all day, every day. Sometimes I lose count of the two-for-one margaritas that I uh, consume at the quarter deck because you start piling on those two-for-ones. You know, I only have so many fingers to count them on. The drink specials are awesome. Guys, the quarter deck is such a great place to watch all the football games, college football Saturday, NFL on Sunday, and especially if you're a Canes and Dolphins fan, you want as much alcohol as possible to watch those teams play. So make sure you take advantage of the 5 for $15 ice-cold buckets of beer. 5 for $15 ice-cold Heineken, Heineken Light, Amstel Light, High Noon Hard Seltzer. Mix and match those to your heart's content. And the food is delicious. Don't even get me started. Oh, man. When I think about that seafood at the quarter deck, I love to build my own poke bowl. And the sushi is awesome at the quarter deck. The fresh fish is so good. I love that mahi-mahi there. Guys, if you're not a seafood fan, don't worry. They've got some of the best burgers I've ever had. I was at the quarter deck uh, last time I saw Frank out there about a month ago. I had the All-American burger. It's so good with the melted cheese. The burger was perfectly cooked to my specifications. And that secret sauce on top is so delicious, man. The sandwiches are great. The baby back ribs are awesome. Make sure you check out the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. And you have an opportunity. We're going to have a Five Reasons Sports meet and greet and watch party Monday night, November 8th. It's going to be at the Plantation location. I love that. It rhymes. The Plantation location out near the uh, the BB&T Center where the Panthers play. Uh, great location. It's gigantic. A, lo a lot of room. A lot of good times will be had by all. So we're going to be out there watching the Miami Heat on the road uh, that night at the Denver Nuggets and also Monday night football that night. So you're going to meet all the great personalities from Five Reasons Sports. Even me. I'll be out there. Ethan Skolnick will be out there. Frank and, and James, the entire crew. You get to meet us out there. Make sure you mark it on your calendars. Monday night, November 8th, we will be having a watch party at the Quarterdeck Sawgrass, the Quarterdeck Plantation location. So that is going to be fantastic. If you want to check out the Quarterdeck's menu before you go, I like to pick out what I want to eat before I get there. Then I change my mind five or six times. But I like to peep the menu. Also, if you want to find the location nearest to you, 
Visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The Quarterdeck, come for the food, stay for the fun. And we are going to be giving away tonight, oh, this has been burning a hole in my pocket, the $20 Quarterdeck gift card. I always like to show you the magnetic strip so you know it's legit. We're going to be giving away at some point this evening a $20 gift card, which you can use at any Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill location. And also, like... If you want to pay that forward, I know we're still in October, but you want to give a Christmas gift to somebody, you win the gift card and you say, I'm going to pass this along. I'm going to give this, you know, to my mom. I'm going to give it to my brother-in-law. You know, it's it makes a nice stocking stuffer, makes a nice gift. They can go out and take advantage of it at the quarter deck. I am Alex Dono. Alongside, as always, let me introduce first James Walker. You know, James, I mentioned we didn't have a show last week. I miss both of you guys. Like, it, it's been two weeks since we've had a show. It feels like a month, man. How have you been, James? I've been great. But, Alex, it looks like we're going to see each other a lot more now. The PFL Finals is next week. Uh, I'm so going to that. that. Yeah, yeah, you are exactly. as well. Yep, Fra- so. Frank, Frank, come to the PFL Finals. Yeah, I was going to say, what's my name, Skip? I mean, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming up. be a good time. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you access. Media, I'm not going to sit in the media section, See, though. That's the talk. problem. Yeah. That, that's that's oh, that's man. why, because we got to reconcile these differences. Alex, my hypocrisy only goes so far. <laughs> I can't I can't sit in the media section. <laughs> and of course, we have the the man, the myth, the legend, Frank Zaffrey with us as well. Frank, what have you been up to these last couple of weeks, my friend? Just trying to turn food into money. That's it. That's what I've been <laughs> trying to do. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I, I know what Conor McGregor has been up to over these last couple of weeks, allegedly, of course. Now, Conor and his family, they were on they were on a nice trip in Italy, which is it's God's country. I mean, I love Italy. Family from there on my father's side. It's amazing. He's in the Eternal City. He's over in Rome. And actually, one of the reasons why he went over there is kind of badass. <laughs> He was having his child, I think I think it's his son, his youngest child, they were having him baptized at the Vatican. That's a boss move. <laughs> how much do you have to how big's that check? I have no idea. <laughs> do you think the Pope performed the ceremony? I, I think it depends on how big the check is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would figure like you would ensure the salvation of that child 100%. Like it's not like a, you know if he's if he's at the, the heaven's gates and and God is like, "Bro, I'm not sure, maybe purgatory for a little bit." But oh wait, hold on, hold on. I'm looking over your resume. You were baptized at the vat come right in, sir. <laughs> It's going to go something like that. So it wasn't just getting his child baptized uh, in, in the Vatican. McGregor also had some extracurriculars. I'm t- the man is mentally ill. Like, I'm telling you. And, and, of course, I will say alleged because, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know if they have good surveillance footage of what really happened. But Conor McGregor has been accused by uh, an Italian DJ, Fran- Francesco Facchinetti. Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask my relatives if they've heard of this dude. Apparently, he's he's a big time DJ and musician over in Rome. Um, this uh, and and he did show he definitely had facial injuries. Whether or not those were definitely caused by Conor McGregor, I'd say probably so because we know he he does that sort of thing. But he he had like you know cuts uh, on his upper and lower lips. He claimed to have a broken nose. He said he was concussed, and so uh, the alleged altercation took place at a luxury hotel in Rome after Facchinetti claims that he was part of a group that McGregor invited to a party that night. McGregor reportedly lashed out when the group wanted to leave the party 
And that's when the DJ claims he was assaulted with punches to the nose and mouth. Facchinetti claims he suffered a concussion as a result of the alleged assault, and that's why he ultimately decided to press charges after taking, after talking to his wife and friends about the in, about the incident. And then I love these quotes. So this is what uh, this is what the DJ told CNN about Conor McGregor: "He is dangerous. He needs to be stopped." That's what he said. So <laughs> McGregor finds himself in a little bit of hot water. Now I'm sure, like he's done with his many other incidents along the way, his expensive lawyers will. We'll probably find a way to settle with this guy and make these charges go away. But it's like at this point, and, and I know, Frank, all of this is alleged. But at the same time, that seems like a very Conor McGregor thing to do. Like you're out in Italy at a party, you get into a bar fight. That's his M.O., right? It 100% is. But I think where he's taking it to another level is he is in Rome to be at the Vatican for his child's baptism and still found time to go to a club and beat up a DJ. I think yeah. he's transcended his normal kind of, you know, irreverent and, and otherwise criminal behavior and really taking it to a level that may result in some kind of, you know, uh, post-life, uh, you know, heaven or hell decisions when he gets to the pearly gates. Because yeah. I just don't understand how you can be there for something that special and then just squeeze in a, bar fight in a club in Italy with a DJ who clearly is not capable of fighting him. I'm, no. I'm confused. <laughs> what I really want to understand, and I, I wonder if people receive this information about Connor and then think the way I do, like he's a payday walking around anywhere he is because yeah. he's liable to hit anybody. So I wonder if people are just kind of, and I wonder if this DJ was one of them where they just, you just say something to him on the off chance and Hey, a broken nose and a big check sounds good to me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. now I've never, I've never had my nose broken before. Uh, like, like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have James and uh, Frank no, says no. it's not that bad. Like do you, with that, like if you, if you were at the same social gathering with Conor McGregor, uh, would you think, you know, I'm maybe a little bit, not saying you are, but hypothetically someone I'm a little bit behind, maybe on my, on my bills this month. <laughs> I'm in the same setting with Connor. Let, let me let me see if I can provoke a nice check out of him because you know uh, when you go after a famous person like that, chances are even if your case may not be strong enough to win in court, he's probably going to slide you something just to make it go away quietly. Yeah, not not my style. Uh, you know, I, I'm not. If Connor has friends like that, he doesn't really need enemies. You know, <laughs> guys waiting for him to punch him in True. the face uh, that are hanging out with him, but. Uh, I mean, Frank, look, you, you predicted this months ago, really after the Dustin Poirier fight, if I remember correctly. You said things are about to really spiral and go downhill for Conor McGregor um, in terms of, you know, he's losing uh, in the UFC. You know, it seems like his career is is kind of coming off the rails. And now it seems like his personal life is is really coming off the rails. And I used to think with Conor, I used to think, OK, he went from nothing financially to a ton like really fast, kind of a meteoric rise in a matter of about five years or so. Um, and and I used to think that, okay, when that happens and you become super famous, super rich really fast, you can be a target. You know, there could be people, and you're a fighter on top of that. There could be people that will test you, oh, you're, you know, you're not that tough or stuff like that. And and so I used to think it was people testing him because if you think about all the incidents he's had, he had an incident down here in South Florida. Remember he, he did, snatched, yeah. snatched someone's cell phone and, and threw it on the ground and stuff like that. Uh, but at this point where the smoke, there's fire. And, and it seems like, you know, pretty much everywhere he goes, whether it's an award show, uh, whether it's down here in South Florida, whether it's in Italy, things like that, you know, th these things kind of happen. And at some point he has to take accountability that, that this is on him. You know, it's not everybody else's fault all the time. You know, even if half of these incidents 
um, were not his fault. That means the other half of it was, and that he really needs to have the right people in his corner. And where, where's his security? Why, why does he not walk around with security? Why can't well, a secu- security do these kind of things? Supposedly, the, 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 the DJ had secure had his own security, but I don't know if Connor did or not. Yeah, James, it's a great point. And you know, yeah. Alex and I covered the the phone incident in Miami when we had the when we had the radio show at QAM and. You know, his security basically just provides him the ability to sucker punch people without retribution. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially their their purpose. But to yeah. your point about the spiral and my predictive ability, I appreciate you saying that. But I think the whole world knew because following the second Dustin Poirier loss, his uncharacteristically bad behavior post-loss, which was a, a big break from the way he had normally conducted himself, I thought that gave us a glimpse that he was, in fact, spiraling. And now I think it's just all about provocation to try to keep himself in the news and try to make somebody want to fight him. It's a desperate attempt at relevance, and it's sad. And eventually he's going to hit the wrong person. I I uh, guess the good news would be that if he's out there dancing at nightclubs and sucker punching people, the broken leg's probably better. That could be the silver lining here that he's well, he he's healing heals quickly. Unbelievably fast. He heals very yeah, quickly, right? right? <laughs> Here's uh, uh, Dana White was asked for comment on the situation, and you know he uh, this was Tuesday. He was asked about this, and like he was aware of it. I mean, it's pretty pretty much impossible for him not to be. A hundred people probably told him about it and texted him about it. Uh, he said on Tuesday that he was aware of the allegations against McGregor, but he had not heard full details about the incident, so he couldn't offer a comment. He said, "Quote." Um, I honestly don't even know enough about it to comment on it. Obviously, I've seen what you guys, you guys have seen more than me, actually, to be honest with you. I haven't talked to Connor, so I don't know what the truth is. I don't know exactly what happened, so to comment on it, I really can't. Well, if he wants to get the truth of it, I don't know if Connor would necessarily be the best source for the truth. But yeah, yeah he should talk to Connor. He should probably talk to... You know, whoever owns that nightclub at that hotel, any anybody who saw anything there, maybe talk to the DJ. You know, you should you should probably gather all of his information here because Connor is probably not the most reliable narrator here. Alex, what does he? What does Dana have to talk to anybody about? Connor McGregor is very wealthy. He has a very adept and professional security team. If the man wants to stay out of trouble, it's very easy for him to stay out of trouble. In yeah, fact, it would be easier for him to stay out of trouble than it would the three of us. That's so, fair. I mean, the yeah. fact that an incident happened indicates his behavior is, you know, contradictory to, you know, the benefit of the UFC brand, in my opinion, right now. I mean, he's not promoting a fight. He's just conducting himself, you know, irresponsibly and criminally and giving the entire sport a bad name. This is how all these guys are. They're all just morons that run around sucker punch people that aren't equipped to fight back. Yeah. I actually think Dana is actually in, in a, a good position of power in this situation compared to say a Roger Goodell or uh, Adam Silver or something like that, you know, um, you know, commissioners of these other leagues, because when a fighter gets in trouble, they can kind of play that whole independent contractor card and, you know, the fighters way over here, you know, in Italy doing his thing. He doesn't have a fight schedule. He doesn't have anyone, anything to promote. He doesn't even have a bout set up. He's not in training camp. He's out doing his own thing. He's his own independent contractor. When stuff happens in the NFL, it seems to be grouped under the shield. When stuff happens in the NBA, it seems to be grouped under the NBA. Um, so Dana can say, okay, look, John Jones is out doing his thing. Conor McGregor is out doing their thing. We don't have to schedule them another fight for another year and a half if we if we want to, um, you know, where 
other leagues have to kind of handle it a little more in-house and they get a lot of bad PR from it. I think this actually helps. I mean, not helps Dana White, but in terms of him being able to kind of keep at arm's length, he can just say, look, I don't know what Connor's doing. He's way out there doing his own thing. Uh, you know, when it's time to fight, I'll give him a call. Well, let me ask both of you guys, James, I'll start with you and then Frank, go ahead and weigh in. Uh, yes or no. I mean, you can give me more than a yes or no, or you can give me an explanation, but do you think yes or no, that this will affect uh, Conor McGregor's ability or Dana White's willingness to give him another fight as soon as he's healed? Like, is this going to affect his career at all? No, I, I personally don't think so. Um, you know, there's been worse alleged, uh, you know, with, with Conor that he has been able to uh, either just kind of have it go away or, you know, whatever, pay the fine or restitution, whatever, you know, whatever the situation called for. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is just kind of another blip. Um, I, I don't think it's the straw that breaks the camel's back um, at all. And, and plus, you know, Connor probably has two or three more big paydays left in him, even if he, you know, even if he wins or loses. You know, I, I think there's still a want to see him back in the, in the octagon at least one or two more times. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I could not agree more. And, and, and you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, re, re uh, discuss my whole John Jones theory, but Conor McGregor basically kind of going in on that, you know, bad guy thing that he's got. I mean, now it's everyone's going to want to see him get his ass kicked again. And so I think that makes him marketable as well. I mean, it was a time when he was celebrated, when the whole world yep. wanted to see him win. And uh, it seemed like his fandom was at a level we'd never seen for any fighter in the UFC. And I think he's really gone the other way now. I think a lot more people are rooting for Dustin Poirier than they were Conor McGregor, certainly in the second yeah. fight. And uh, I think when he returns, it would be, aside from a, a contingent of, of Irish fans that fly in on the red eye to see it, I think most people are going to be hoping to see him lose again. And and I agree with you guys. Uh, I, I don't think that this incident or any of the previous ones, because they clearly haven't, because he's come back and fought after a number of different things that have gone on. The, the bar fight in Dublin, the handcart incident uh, stateside, he's always come back and fought from that. So I don't think that this impacts this whatsoever. If anything... A lot of this, and I and I hate to say it because I know that people in society don't like the idea of bad behavior being rewarded, but in the fight game, it kind of is. And and I'm sure that there are limits on that. I mean, if you if you go out there and, and kill somebody, that's a whole different story. But something like this, I mean, getting into social altercations, you know, I, that that might even that might even improve somebody's brand. And and like you said, Frank, maybe more people will hate him than love him at this point, but they're still more interested in watching him. But Alex, I like what you just said there. Like, if he were to kill someone, right? Well, you know, it's not that hard for something like that to happen. You turn around and sucker punch somebody who's not mm. a professional fighter, True. and they fall badly and clip their head on the edge of the bar or whatever. Really bad things can happen. And and I just feel like Conor McGregor is in what we've seen so many athletes being over the years bad bad behaving athletes and actors and other celebrities where they just think a check makes everything go away. So really, I, I'm not accountable for anything as long as I can write you a check. But at some point, you do something that crosses that line. And, you know, Mike Tyson, you end up in prison. And, uh, you know, or worse, you know, he ends up, uh, somebody ends up hurting him very, very badly. So I, I just think that if there's anyone that cares about him in his inner circle, they need to corral his behavior because, you know, he's, it's only a matter of time before his action is the thing that actually does take away his ability to make money and or takes away his freedom. Yeah. And la last point I, I want to make on this, um, you know, 
it would be helpful. Shouldn't he be rehabbing, you know, staying in one spot, rehabbing, spending time with his family? Every week I see him, you know, he's talking to Sugar Sean O'Malley, you know, one yeah. week. He's at the Dallas Cowboy game uh, the next time. He's in Italy the next week. He's meeting with the mayor of Miami, you know, uh, a different week. It's like he's just jet-setting all over the world and, and things like that when obviously, you know, he can't seem to control his his nightlife behavior um, at this point. So it would be good for him to just take take six months off relax, rehab that leg, get right. I'm sure he is training, but I mean, obviously if he wasn't jet sitting across the world, he'd be training even more. Um, and, and just get, you know, just take a chill pill for a while. You know, like things aren't going too well for him jet setting around the world. And I, I'm the last person, by the way, to tell people to just, you know, not live their life and, and just chill for a bit. But with him, obviously, I mean, it's like, you know, he's, he can't keep himself out of these situations. He can't keep himself out of these bad positions. Well, I want to guys, ask you guys, what, guys, go ahead. Oh, go I'm, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to reminisce. At one point, he was trying to leverage owning part of the UFC. Do you guys remember that? I do remember At the height that. of his stardom. And yeah. now he's beating up DJs, and he couldn't beat anyone in the top 10 in the lightweight yeah. division the UFC. He I want really to come crashing. I want to ask you guys one more question on Connor, then we'll move on to the toss-up. we got plenty of other things to talk about. We're going to be bringing on in about 20 minutes our friend Jonathan Ramlikan, lead uh, MMA reporter. For five reasons, sports is going to join us. Actually, I think he's the lead combat sports reporter. It's not even just MMA. The man is all over the place. Um, now, on Connor, and Frank, I'll start with you, and then James. Do you think he's always been this crazy, and we just didn't realize it till he got more famous? Or do you think that he's gotten more crazy over time due to either just having so much money and fame it gets to his head? Or maybe one of my theories is, Sometimes I think certain personalities, and I, I kind of lump in Colby Covington for different reasons into this, they find they have a hard time kind of turning off their gimmick. Like they start living their gimmick. Like a good example of this is Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay has been living his wacky gimmick since the 80s. And before he was Dice, he's just some, you know, fledgling comedian named Andrew Silverstein who then created a character called the Dice Man and became the Dice Man and hasn't turned it off for like 35, 40 years. Do you think Connor just has trouble turning off his gimmick? Because I think Colby Covington suffers from that a little bit as well. Or, or why do you think, do you think, Frank, he's always been crazy and we're just kind of learning about it in recent years? Or has some kind of a, a switch flipped for him? I, I'm trying to stay on your, your, I loved your theme for the show, When in Rome, so I'm going to try to do a little laugh, right? <laughs> So there was uh, in Vino Veritas. I can't remember. It's a long time since I've taken Latin, but I think money was Pecunia or Pecunium. So it's like in Pecunia Veritas. Like I think mm. like he's always been that guy. The money took off the shackles. The money yeah. allowed him not to have the reservations or apprehensions about being himself. I don't think you suddenly transform into a douchebag. I think he was a douche, and but there was some restraint because he was trying to get somewhere, and now he's got douche money. You know, so now it's just like you got to deal with me. I'm a douche, tough shit. I'm gonna be who I am, and I think that's what we we see going on here. Yeah, and I I, I agree with that. I, I mean, look, you know what his first nickname was, and it's always been notorious, right? I mean, yeah, he right. had that even when he was poor. That was his nickname, and notorious Conor McGregor. Now it's Mystic Mac and Money Mac and all that kind of stuff. But his first and original, um, you know, so he he knew what he was, and you know, like as Frank mentioned, he had to have that discipline early to get to where he wanted to be in life. Now he doesn't need that discipline anymore. And, and so um, so now things can come off the rail. But this this is when it's more important than ever for him to be able to have that circle around him 
especially people that maybe knew him before his riches um, to kind of kind of keep him in check. Um, uh, you know, some of it is human nature to to not, you know, to give in to temptation and, and kind of do all this stuff. But but he's going way past, you know, what's acceptable um, in terms of, uh, you know, coming into money and just, you know, just acting uh you know, a muck, basically. Yeah, James, James, I, you're right. I, I know if you and I gave Alex $100 million, he wouldn't walk into my restaurant and punch the DJ. So, I mean, I, <laughs> you're yeah, probably right about that. I, I would disappear to an island somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Buy an island. Yeah. yeah, I probably would. Oh, man. Before uh, we're going to move on to the toss up in a second, I, w- I want to uh, remind everybody who's watching us live, or even if you're watching us on replay later, do us a huge solid. And smash the like button. Hit the thumbs up button. It really helps us out. The more likes, thumbs up we get, uh, the more the more people's uh, suggested videos we're going to turn up in. We can work the algorithm. Please do us a favor and smash that like button. And if you haven't already, you should have. But if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Five Reasons Sports on YouTube. And turn the notifications on so you know when all of our great programming is live. But without further ado, I, I know Frankie Z has got an incredible list of questions oh. for this week's toss-up i've been working hard on this list i, I only came up with three so if you're ready i'll go for <laughs> conor mcgregor it seems like a weekly occurrence but have you ever gotten into a bar fight Ooh. now you guys probably wouldn't be surprised that i'm going to say no i i don't <laughs> i don't have a i don't have a violent past but the closest that i ever came to getting into like an altercation was um when i was like 19 years old first year of college at one point i was dating a girl who was a crazy chick like certifiably crazy like you know she she would dance on tables at parties and stuff we get a lot of attention from dudes and that and that's a recipe for you know so so i'm at i'm at a party and she's all you know attention she was like a female conor mcgregor just craving attention all the time and, you know, some some, you know, really sketchy dude starts like hitting on her. And, you know, I, I'm just like intervening like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And then this guy, he he's he had a he had a cigar in his mouth and he attempted to put the cigar out on my face. So I'm yeah. like I'm like holding his arm like it, it, it was like one of those Movie. movies in yeah. slow motion where somebody's like trying to stab you and like you're holding the knife back and and like pe- people ended up like intervening and he he calmed down and I I calmed down so I I did not have a cigar put out on my face but that 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 was the close no punches were thrown that that was the closest I've ever gotten to I I've been in the vicinity of some bar fights where I did not intervene. I mean, at least not in like a violent way, maybe try to pull some people off, but I've never personally been involved. The cigar incident was the closest I have ever gotten to. What about you, James? Wow. Interesting story. Uh, so I I've never been in a bar fight, but I do have a almost fight story. My, my last real fight was in second grade, by the way. So third grade for me, I didn't, I didn't count that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my last actual scuffle, but I, I nearly got into two fights in college. So I'll tell you the one story. I had an older roommate. So he was in ROTC uh, military training, big dude. Um, he was over 21. So he had alcohol and everything in the room. And I'm, you know, I'm this 17, 18 year old freshman. And so one night he's drinking. I, I didn't drink. I'm not a big drinker at all, even to this day. And two football players, two Temple University football players are walking outside by our window. And so my drunk roommate, nothing better to do, decides to start yelling out the window. Temple football sucks. You guys, which which they did. He wasn't he wasn't lying. But why is he telling two, you know, D1 athletes, football players, 
you know, on a, on a Friday night or whatever, that, that their f- football team stinks. So the guys obviously say, oh, okay, I can see where your room is. I see the light on and see where you, we're coming up there. So now I got about 45 seconds and my, my roommate's probably, you know, six to, you know, 200 pounds or something. And I'm, you know, I'm like 5'11", 150 soaking wet at the time as a college freshman. And so I'm nervous, you know, I got two Temple football players coming up and he's like, you know, look, we're going to fight. So my, in my warped mind, I'm like, okay, how can I even the odds? I start plugging in an iron to get it hot. Cause I'm thinking I got to do something, right? This is the only way I can really defend myself against two division one athletes. And you know, he's going to be fine. He's military trained and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but I'm, nice. I'm about to get my tail whipped. So I plug in the iron and I'm warming it up and I'm ready. So when they open the door, whack, I'm going to surprise them, you know, with this hot iron. So, oh my God. so all this stuff is coming up. They knock on the door. They're ready to go. Boom, boom, boom. I hear you talking all that mess, blah, blah. And I look at my roommate and I'm like, at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I got, yeah, I got the iron. Exactly. He waves it off. He's like, don't say anything. Just stay quiet. And uh, I'm like, okay, so cooler has prevailed with him. Wow. I stay quiet. He stay quiet. They knock. They keep knocking. They're talking for about, eh, I felt like 10 minutes, but really it's probably about two minutes. And, and then uh, they eventually leave. And uh, I end up seeing these, uh, at least one of these football players, I end up seeing them like two or three weeks later. And I kind of explain the whole story to him. Hey, I come in peace. Here's what happened. My roommate was dreaming, blah, blah, blah. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. We were mad that night, but, oh, you know. Oh, my God. No, nothing to, to to say, but imagine if they opened that door, or imagine if we opened that door. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't know what would have happened. I could have got kicked out of school or something. <laughs> I was gonna face. say, change. You hit somebody yeah. with a scalding hot iron. Your whole yeah. your whole life may have changed. Exactly. I, I just I have this image exactly. in my head of like watching a Temple football game. Some dude takes off his helmet and he's got the imprint oh, of an man. iron like on his forehead. Were, were were you inspired? Like, and that's very like creative of you in like forty five seconds to come up with that. Yeah. Were you inspired by Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone? Because I think in <laughs> In several of the traps, he said he had the hot iron. Wow, I don't know where I came up with that, man. I was just searching for something. That just, <laughs> I was I was about to get get whipped, really. By you know, he would have been fine. My roommate would have been fine. He would have defended himself, but I, I wasn't <laughs> equipped. I wasn't equipped to defend myself for that. A- Alex, if I ever get mad at James, remind me not to storm into whatever room he's in. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, just like make, make sure it's a room where like an iron would not be. Like yeah, like st- yeah. Wow. Man. Yep. Well, you, I, you know, you two guys make me feel like Conor McGregor. I mean, I, I feel like all I was, all I did was get into bar fights. As a See, kid. I, I knew, um, I knew Frank would have some stories. I, I mean, it, I don't. I actually, I, I'm embarrassed to say some of them. Some of them, there may be still criminal action that could be pending. I mean, I don't know. Ooh. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I mean, I had my share. But you know, also, I've been in the bar business. Don't forget. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I've been on the other end of them where you're trying to break them up and. You know, I, I, it feels weird to say back in the 90s, but, you know, back in the early 90s, uh, you could kind of get a, away with almost anything. The mm-hmm. whole world has changed now. Two things mm-hmm. have changed. One, if you get in a bar fight and you hit somebody, you're definitely getting sued, right? Mm-hmm. That didn't used to be the case 20 years ago. And the second thing is the very sport we cover. You never know a bar you're in. I advise all my friends that still have a, you know, still have that kind of thing about them where they're not afraid to engage somebody in a bar the hell with what happens i remind them that that little guy over there might be a bantamweight fighter in, in the ufc yeah. and you know you don't want that trouble so yeah. hopefully uh hopefully they're listening to me well and, and then the other part of it is this day and age certainly wasn't the case in the early 90s 
if, if a bar fight breaks out, there's at least a half dozen people who are pulling their phones out and filming it. So then there's, right. there's video evidence. Like I right. obviously, you know, most people in the nineties didn't necessarily happen to have a camcorder on them when they're at the bar. Right. So there wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot they could do to capture that. You just got to hope there's not a surveillance camera in there, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I knew Frank would have some experience where James and I would likely <laughs> fail. <laughs> Uh, all right, next question. Did Aspen Lads coach? I really want to get into this. Did Aspen yeah. Lads coach Jim West cross the line with his harsh cornering between rounds? I mean, he really went off on her. Honestly, I, I think the narrative that came out of this, I find it to be ridiculous the way people are, are complaining about this coach. This is the fight business, not the feelings business. And and in case you guys miss this, there, there's some really good videos out there. BT Sport put a great one out on YouTube where they, they cut out like, so they, they only edit in between every round after the second, third, fourth round. So you can see the instruction that he gives to her. And like, he, he's got a certain, and this guy also happens to be her boyfriend, by the way, uh, Jim West, her head coach, but yeah, he has like a very direct kind of harsh way to corner a fighter. He would repeatedly ask her, what are you doing? You know, what the fuck are you doing? And and would try to would try to plead with her to throw more combinations. And it was a super boring fight. Like I, I just woke up from that fight this past Saturday. Like it was a coma <laughs> inducing fight. And like he was right to say that Aspen was really not doing enough. And like you could even argue that some of his cornering actually would have worked because he was like really harsh after the third round. And she had a better fourth round, won the fourth round, won the fifth round, still lost the fight though. But my take on this, guys, and I don't know if I'm taking this a little bit too far, but I, I think this is a reasonable argument to make here. I think a lot of the people who have come out and referred to this man's cornering and his method to the way he spoke to his fighter, like I've seen people use the word abusive, like Misha Tate used that word. Now, she has a grudge, I think, against this coach because they've gotten into some spats before, so there's a history there. But like she used the word abusive. And some people have agreed with that, and they've they've said he's crossed a line. I honestly think that a lot of the people who are up in arms about the way this man was cornering his fighter, whether they realize it or not, they're being sexist about this. Because, honestly, if the same cornerman is giving the same advice to a male fighter, I don't think people would look at that and say he's being abusive or he's crawling. Like, like if, if this guy was uh, if this guy was cornering John Jones, I don't think anyone would have said, "Oh my God, how dare he speak to his fighter this way?" Like I, I think people are are kind of treating the whole the women versus men thing differently here. And Great like and, and listen, and Aspen Lad, you know, she looked she looked a little bit upset in the corner, but she was also losing the fight. So and, and she knew she wasn't performing well. So I, I don't know if like the sullen look on her face was the direct result of her coach, you know, to, and he wasn't even yelling at her. And the other thing about this and listen, like I, I'm not here to say this guy is you know the, the most amazing coach of all time, but I will defend him a little bit because uh, and James, I'll let you weigh in next. It's not like he was just berating her. He was actually giving her advice like he was giving her instructions. Like if you have a cornerman that's just like, oh, you're doing terrible, you're, you're sucking, you're not winning and not giving you any sort of constructive criticism and advice. I could say that's bad cornering, but he was actually giving her sound technical advice, just doing it in a very abrasive way. What did you think, James? Yeah. Was it good coaching? No, it wasn't good coaching. Uh, you got to look at the result. He didn't get the coach. Didn't get the result. He wanted Aspen lad fought this, the entire fight the same way. 
was it offensive? No, I, I didn't find it offensive. I mean, the things that were said are things that, and, and, and Frank, you mentioned this too, back in the nineties, you know, this is stuff that my high school football coach, you know, would say to our team on, you know, I had heard basis. worse than that from various coaches for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, times have just changed now to where, you know, it's, it's a more sensitive time, um, you know, and coaches aren't supposed to coach that way now, but, Look, when I played high school football and, you know, we're young and impressionable, we're 15, 16 year olds uh, at the time. I mean, we had coaches that yelled and screamed at us and, you know, all this kind of stuff uh, that was similar. And, you know, it's it's just a different time. So it's one of those things where, you know, maybe the coach kind of took an old school route, um, you know, to trying to get things jump started. It didn't work. Uh, but so I think the coach needs to evaluate how to get a response, how to get the positive response. Um, for next time, but I didn't find it personally offensive in, in what he was trying to do. I mean, he had Aspen Ladd's best interest in mind to get the best out of her when, when obviously Aspen Ladd was not getting the best out of her abilities. I didn't think of uh, Alex's comment about maybe a sexist perspective on it. That's really that's a really good point. But just jumping off what James was saying, I, I would say two things. First of all, Dean Thomas has told us many times how hard it is to get through to any fighter in between rounds in in a in a situation that that is that intense. Obviously, I mean, none of us have done any cage fighting, but you know, I, I can only imagine how clouded your mind is and how difficult it is for you to receive information. And so, I thought being direct and really confrontational was probably what he had, what he determined was the only way to try to break through and get out of her what he knew as her coach she was capable of doing. But this whole thing, and James, you're so right. I mean, this, this, this is just a great encapsulation of the dramatic softening of our culture. It's frightening to me as now an aging person to see it transforming in front of my very eyes. That, you know, we've gotten to a place where, as James pointed out, playing football in high school, obviously before <laughs> a few years before you guys, um, you know, y being yanked around by my face mask was a routine thing when I forgot something or didn't do something correctly. And guess what? It got my attention. I didn't forget it again. And mm -hmm. I am no worse for the wear. But now suddenly if a college football player, a college coach is seen doing that, um, you know, th th they're, they're probably be forced to resign at this point. I mean, it's just, I don't know what's going to come of it, but nothing good. I mean, it's just we're, it's just a, an incredible wussification thing that's happening where you can't tell somebody who's in a cage fighting with virtually no rules. Yeah, you can't insult them in the corner. I mean, what yeah. the hell are we talking about? That's a good point. It's a cage fight for God's sake. <laughs> and, and you bring up uh, such a great yeah. point. Like, and, and in this sense, let me expand on that point a little bit. It's funny how people who watch this sport they draw the line at a coach you know, raising his voice. I don't even know if he was raising his voice, just like, you know, being, being very direct with his fighter when you are willingly watching a sport where people get concussed and Alex. break limbs on, on the yeah. regular, but you draw the line at being a, at, at using a few F-bombs when you're cornering your fighter. It's yeah. weird. Listen, you can break her orbital bone. You can make her bleed out over the mat, but don't you hurt her feelings. That's not acceptable. That can't happen. I mean, it's just it's just so dumb. So, you know, look, I mean, maybe the coach, uh, maybe the coach uh, fighter matchup isn't right. Maybe they don't have the right chemistry. But I mean, you know, look, I mean, if we're going to pretend like coaches don't hurt fighters feelings routinely in gyms, then we're just deluding ourselves. Yeah. But by the way, real quick, before we move on to the next toss up. 
Have you guys heard anything about this? I say it ain't so. Alex M writes in, is Nate versus Luke happening? He says, I'm reading rumors that Vicente yeah. Luque might back out. Don't be surprised if you start hearing about some injury. God, I would be so pissed. Have you have you heard anything about that, Frank? I, I haven't heard anything about uh, Luque backing out. But, I mean, you know, anything that involves someone with the last name Diaz in the UFC, <laughs> you know, there's going to be speculation that it won't happen until they're actually stepping into the octagon. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the last that I read on it is that the fight is pending Diaz signing a new deal that I, I hadn't heard anything about Luque backing out. I think well, if Luque anything... may not, Luque may not want to wait for that. I mean, that oh, may be part okay. of the issue. He might be yeah. saying, I'm not going to wait for you to negotiate for six months, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. So we'll, we'll move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, well, I only did three, so it's the last one. Last one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fedor fights Timothy Johnson and Bellator this weekend. Does Fedor still move the needle for you? I already know what Alex is going to say, <laughs> but I'm going to ask him anyway. Yeah, he does, especially since um, if if this is not his last fight, it's his second to last fight. I, I think that there's there's a little bit of confusion as to whether or not this one, which is in his native Russia, so you'd think this is maybe not a bad one to walk away from the sport with, uh, unless he also does his next one, I guess, in Russia. But this is for Bellator this weekend. They're going to be in Russia. This Timothy, Timothy Johnson fight might be Fedor's last. Now, uh, he and his management have done a pretty good job in the last few years of handpicking opponents where he's fighting big names who are also so much on the decline that they're beatable. Like he's got recent wins over Rampage Jackson, Chael Sonnen, Frank Mir, but he, he is winning a lot of these fights. In fact, Fedor has been victorious in eight of his past 10 fights. So, yeah, you could say he's handpicking opponents and, and fighting guys who are washed up, but theoretically he's also washed up and he's still winning most of his fights. So um, Fedor still moves the needle for me. I mean, he guys, he's still very fast for his age and for his size, hand speed-wise. Still has very fast hands. He still has power. And he's still, like Fedor, you know, he's he's never been like a conventional-type boxer in the sense that, you never know really where his punches are coming from, right? He can hit you from weird angles and throw opponents off. So, um, listen, yeah, I, I would argue, and I'm, I'm one of the biggest Fedor fans ever, as Frank hinted at. Really, it's been for probably over a decade we've been watching, you know, a, a version of Fedor that has been out of his prime, I would say, since around 2009 probably is when I think that he, he really crashed out of his prime. But he's still good enough out uh, to go out there and, and win some fights. The Timothy Johnson matchup is going to be interesting because Timothy Johnson, not to say he's some athletic specimen, but he's a gigantic guy. I mean, Fedor, Fedor usually goes around at around 235 pounds, and I think Timothy Johnson even maybe cuts a few pounds to get to 265. Uh, and he's, you know, he's he's got some size. He's kind of a lummox though, but he's got some size and some power. So this could be a dangerous fight for Fedor. But yeah, I'm going to be. I'm actually more excited for Bellator than I am for the UFC coming up this weekend because Fedor for me still must see TV. Yeah, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, Alex, where and, and your point about 2009 was probably like the, the tail end of his prime is, is a, a good segue to that, because for me, Fedor was an aura fighter. Like I watched him for his aura, you know, that aura of invincibility, that aura of maybe seeing something in a heavyweight fight that you never saw before, you know, as far as his cat quickness and his, you know, his lightning hands and, and things like that. That aura has been shattered long ago. You know, that aura has been gone for, for a decade. So I don't necessarily get much joy in seeing the shell of Fedor, like the shell of the fighter that he once was. I knew how great he was. I've seen fights of him in his prime. 
I, you know, for me, he was an R fighter. I kind of watched him for his R. Kind of reminds me in terms of aura, you know, stuff like uh, Lyota Machida or even Conor McGregor in his prime. You know, they were aura fighters to where you kind of watched them for their aura, that they kind of had that mysteriousness about them, that invincibility about them. But once it gets shattered, I don't enjoy Lyota Machida fights anymore. You know, his aura has been shattered long, long ago. Same thing with Conor McGregor. You know, he doesn't have that aura. Um, you know, anymore. So I don't enjoy his fights as much. So same thing with Fedor, except it's been a long time, a long, even longer stretch um, since I really enjoyed seeing him in the, in the octagon or in the cage. Kind of a frustrating thing about Fedor. Uh, you know, is he the greatest heavyweight of all time? You know, his career is kind of split right down the middle. I, Alex will correct me if I'm wrong in the numbers, but I think it was something like a uh, you know, like a 10 year run in pride where he was yeah. undefeated and fighting the best fighters. And I think it could be argued that for much of pride's existence simultaneously UFC, uh, they had most of the best fighters. And, um, you know, that part of his chapter clearly defines him as the greatest heavyweight. And then there's part two where he avoided the UFC and he did the strike force thing. And now the affliction thing and, and you know, or affliction, I guess, first and then strike force yeah. and then you know, this and that part where it starts to seem like they're picking opponents for him. And when they weren't, he was losing the fights. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you, 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 that part of it, I'm stuck on now where I don't want to see it anymore. I feel like I'm seeing a, 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 a scripted version of what was once a really tremendous fighter. And obviously that, that scripted part has gone on too long to save the aura that James was just talking about. But I would like to see the curtain close on this and uh, we could remember the Pride FC Fedor that the whole world was terrified of. Yeah, I, I think for me, like when I knew that Fedor was entering the stage of his career when he had to start handpicking opponents was when he lost to Dan Henderson in Strike Force. Because just in and Henderson, like he he was, you know, he was on the back nine of his prime, but I, I think a little bit a little bit closer to his prime than Fedor was at that point, but just based on like the perceived size difference, I, I didn't think Fedor had any had any uh, business losing that fight to Dan Henderson. And when he did, I thought, okay, now and and like I said, even this, it's been like ten years now since that fight, 10, 11 years. Like I still enjoy watching Fedor fight, but I have known for quite some time we're no longer seeing the same version. Uh, by the way, I want to uh, give everybody who's watching us live now an opportunity. To win this quarter deck gift card, $20 gift card to the quarter deck seafood bar and neighborhood grill. And since I see my guy Brooklyn Rob in the chat, I'm going to make the code word in his honor. And you have a chance to win this, of course, Rob. Uh, anybody else in the chat as well. So if you, the first person to type this word into the group chat, will win this $20 quarter deck gift card. The word is mush. Because Brooklyn Rob refers to me as the mush. M-U-S-H. First person to type M-U-S-H will win a $20 gift card to the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar Neighborhood Grill and a perfect opportunity what is mush? to use What does mush mean? What does mush mean? It, it's like, uh, I, I think it has origins in like a movie or something. I'm not sure. But mush, it, it's like a betting term. Oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Rob won. How about that? So Brooklyn Rob, that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to DM with you, sir, get your information, and I will send you this gift card. So what it means, like, I, I forget what the origin of it was, but what it means basically is somebody like me uh, who's like an avid sports better and like everything that I bet on, it just, it, the, the luck turns sideways, right? Like I, oh, I thought that was a cooler. So it's a mush. Okay. I, I think that that applies as well. Like okay, for example, I, I, I bet the heat on the money line tonight, minus uh one twenty five against the Milwaukee bucks. 
So if you're like Brooklyn Rob, you probably want to fade my pick by me betting on the Miami Heat. It pretty much guarantees a Milwaukee Bucks victory. <laughs> I, I can remember. I remember Frank. You remember the the fight card that we watched together uh, live in Orlando? Oh my and god! Like go. you, uh, like you, you picked every fight wrong. Like you picked the entire yeah. main card. You didn't well, get. A single oh, I went oh and thirteen. I did the prelims wrong too. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a mush moment and i think you bet on a lot of those fights as well that was that was not a uh that was not a good one for you let, let, let's so you're welcome the mush. in All right. yeah exactly let's welcome in the lead combat sports reporter from the five reasons sports network also does an awesome job on the post fight shows he's a part of our miami heat coverage as well uh and i know he's got a, he's got to run to that after he's done chatting with us the great jonathan Ramlikan at three piece combo on twitter Good evening, Jonathan. How you doing, sir? And I see with the you've always got the red and black background, but it's extra appropriate for the heat opener tonight. How are you? Absolutely. Oh, and look at that. Got the red and black shirt. I can't do heat shirts on game day. That's my personal, uh, you know, little uh, stipulation there. But I'm doing great, man. Like it's a, it's game day for the Miami Heat. We got a pretty good banger coming this weekend with Costa versus Vittori, given all the stipulations. But I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing so well. Doing well. Doing great, man. I'll, I'll, Jonathan, I'll ask you the first question here. Um, yeah, named after your show, actually, uh, Jorge Masvidal is is back and you know has a matchup now against Leon Edwards. Highly anticipated, uh, probably two and two two and a half years in the making or so. Uh, just what's your initial thoughts as we're probably going to be talking about this bout for the next two months? Well, first of all, the whole backstage altercation is where my whole Twitter handle and my whole persona came from. The three piece combo came from the three piece in the soda whole thing from Jorge Masvidal. So this matchup is kind of, you know, pretty uh, key to this whole thing for me as far as that goes. But I think it's going to be a really good matchup because Leon Edwards is one of these guys that's just really technical, right? Really good, good in the clinch, good at outpointing you. Uh, I know Dono's not going to like me for this, but he outclassed Nate Diaz for about 24 out of the 25 minutes. Out of here with minutes. that nonsense. Did, did Diaz just ran out of time. Right. He did run out of time. I'll give you that, right? If that fight went another two, three more minutes, Diaz would have won. And blood. And blood. But, I think he was yeah. bleeding out. But yeah, yeah, he, he looked good in that fight. He's looked good in almost every other fight that he's been in as well. And this is the shot that Leon has needed or the name that Leon has needed to put himself over the top. I mean, Nate kind of would have done that, but he doesn't really have the ranking there. But as far as the matchup with him and Masvidal goes, I think this is going to be uh, one of the better matchups of the year. Uh, both of these guys are, are tough dudes. Both of these guys are strikers. I mean, none of these guys are really going to take you to the ground too much. You would not going to probably see that. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Oh, and and real quick, I want to uh, I want to get to a question from the chat, and maybe if uh, if Jonathan has anything to add to this, because we were just talking about Fedor fighting in Bellator in Russia this weekend. Uh, oh yeah, and, oh, and he actually he answered his own question, but I wanted to get to it as well. He asked, "What testing does Bellator do? Like they they don't have like the the in house program like the UFC does with USADA." Bellator just goes commission by commission with their testing, which, you know, th that used to be the acceptable standard. I mean, the UFC upped the ante, right, because people were, were really putting the whole PED stuff under the microscope. So the UFC realized just for the sake of our own PR, we want to we, we want to look like we're running the cleanest possibly. And I respect them for it. But, the, you know, they, they did it for PR reasons, I would think. So, you know, for for many for many decades, boxing promotions, the UFC for a long time, MMA promoters. You go commission by commission. Every state has a different standard, right? I mean, usually California and Nevada and New Jersey, 
were were some of the most uh, rigid because those athletic commissions tended to have the most money. So they would, you know, they, they would have more testing and like places like Florida and Texas were kind of the wild, wild west. But yeah, Bellator goes by the old model. They go commission by commission, which would mean, Jonathan, putting on a show in Russia, theoretically, uh, we'll see who takes advantage of it and who does it. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of PED testing going on uh, because I don't I don't know if uh, if Russia even has any sort of a sanctioning body for that. Did you see Rocky Four? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, to add on to that, you have a Fedor who's fighting at, I mean, what age is he? He's about 75, 76 yeah. years old at this point. He needs that He's extra six juice. years younger than me, Jonathan. He's up on that. <laughs> I, mean, listen, I, I, I love Fedor, so I would encourage him to take – and you know what? Honestly, to be fair with Fedor – um, I can't say this without a shadow of a doubt, but doesn't Fedor seem like the type of guy who might have even kept clean during the Pride era? Like, yeah. he's a, a deeply religious dude, and, like, he never looked like he was jacked. Like, he always had he always had a little bit of a muffin top and a spare tire. Like, I never looked at Fedor, like, the same way I would look at, like, Paul Kevin Costa. Randleman or something in Pride. Like, oh, my God, that guy's juice to the gills. Like, Fedor, Fedor might have actually kept his career clean for the most part here. He, he might have, you know, he's one of those guys, like you said, uh, look at somebody like Johnny Hendricks and the drop off that he had when he came off the juice after USADA. Yeah. Look at the way that Overeem looked at when he yeah. came off the juice with USADA. So to your point, he never really had a point when in his career when he went from, you know, top physical condition to, you know, like you said, muffin top. He's always kind of had that little extra chub. He's carried around that little extra weight and that's always been there for him. Second part to what you said is that that, you know, religious kind of style background you know that deep true martial artist where you don't want to cut corners where you want to make sure everything is as pure as possible it could be another thing there where we see that and he does he just wants to prove himself right he's he's taking a matchup that's not a, a top of the line heavyweight matchup it's kind of just a more of the name and i think with this fight maybe the main event you might not see some juicing but if there's some undercard fighters that are coming out of russia i'm Damn sure there might be yeah. some of those guys. Yeah. Be and, and they're 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 loaded. They're loaded with with Russians on this card. There there's a bunch of dudes like they're which is probably smart. I mean, you cater to the uh, to the right. local market. Uh, something I, I wanted to get into this with Jonathan and with everybody before Jonathan has to run in a little bit for heat pregame coverage. Uh, really interesting. And and James Frank and I were chatting a little bit about this on our on our group chat. Um, so this this Paulo Costa Marvin Vittori fight. So Paulo Costa, he he shows up, and a couple of days ago, a couple of days before the weigh-in, he reveals he's at two eleven. There's no way he can make one eighty-five. Like he's contracted with Vittori for a one hundred eighty-five pound fight. He shows up and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to make one eighty-five. So let's talk about a catch weight one ninety-five. Or you know what? Why don't we? He even said, "Why don't we do it at two oh five and put on a great show for the fans?" <laughs> and at, at the end of the day, as I suspected he would. You know, Vittori, because he was within his rights, Vittori, to say, no, I'm not fighting if you can't make weight. Like, he's within his rights to do that. He He's not forced to take the fight if his opponent can't make weight. Vittori did agree, and he gets 20% of Costa's fight purse. He agrees to do the 195-pound catch weight. And as James pointed out to me, the guy who may have recently started this trend is may none have. other than Nicholas Diaz, right? Because Nick Diaz... Uh, before his fight with Robbie Lawler shows up, he's like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to make weight. We better do it up a weight class, right? And, and so, like, do, do you worry about this becoming a trend, Jonathan? Do you see this and say, this is not good for business. We need to make sure everybody's making weight. 
No, I don't see this happening a lot more in the future. I think this is two separate situations that are that are just happening at the same time. It's like it's not, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. It's not the mm. same thing. Uh, with the the Nick Diaz thing, uh, that's something where you have a legend of the sport coming in. You want him to fight no matter what, right? The Paulo Costa thing, I feel that's a little more irresponsibility. I think that's more on his end of just not, not just not really wanting to make 185, right? Coming after that fight off of Izzy, I felt like mentally he lost a lot of what he had going. He was going into that fight undefeated. He was cleaning house, knocking everybody out. And then he got put out. And then after that, it was kind of a little bit of insult to injury because of all the things Izzy did to him after the fight, the little dry hump, everything, right? And now mentally, he's not in a good place. Like he's not really in a good place for this fight at all. And I think him coming in and not wanting to make weight is more of a mental thing for him rather than him trying to start some wave of stop cutting weight. Let's just make, you know, fight like that. So that, that's how I feel about that. Jonathan, do you think like the UFC should say, I hate that if a guy, regardless of what the reason is, I hate that a guy like Costa can show up, miss weight badly or say he's going to miss weight badly. And his opponent is really forced by code to take the fight regardless. And I hate that the, the, the opponent kind of has to take the fight. I wish the league would step in and say, look, you're unprofessional, irresponsible, and no, fight's over and we'll pay Vittori for his time. That would send a message, like no more of this nonsense. Because, I mean, Costa's getting an advantage. He doesn't have to cut weight. That's an advantage for a great big guy like that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think this needs to be an instance where, like you said, Vittori is kind of forced to take the matchup because if not, his whole training camp was for nothing. He might get show, but he's not going to get any win money. And also, and also, knowing Dana White, he would try and like guilt him because I've seen Dana right. White do that before. Like Vittori didn't want to fight him, like stuff like that. It's like probably he would have fought him at the contracted weight, but I've right. seen Dana do that before. Yeah, and that's I, what I'm I mean by code. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's it's a code. It's like that kind of unwritten rule in baseball it's that same thing there where you, you got to kind of take the fight you know you got to stay on the boss's good side i mean it kind of worked out for Corey sanhagen right because although he lost to dillashaw now he's fighting for the interim title so yeah. you know there's some benefits of saying on dana white's good side but as far as when a fighter misses weight and the opponent is kind of forced to take it especially you know like a main event spot there needs to be a better situation for those opposing fighters on the other side of the weight cut because they're putting in the time to make the weight. They're straining their bodies. They're doing this little extra work. And now, like you said, Costa is going to have an advantage because he knew coming in he didn't have to cut to 185. He was like, it's 195 or bust for me. Mm -hmm. well, last thing I want to ask you quick uh, before we let Jonathan run because he's going to be hosting uh, Heat pregame tonight. Um, who do you like in that fight, Costa or Vittori? And and, you, and of course, in, in a factor for that, you can't include this whole weight thing. Who do you like in the fight? Um, you know what? I'm going to say Marvin Vittori gets it done. I really don't. I'm, I'm not a super big fan of Marvin Vittori. I'm an Izzy guy. I'm going to is my favorite fighter. So, I mean, you know, Marvin's not going to be my, my favorite guy. But I think Marvin could get it done. He has a pretty big head. That head can take some punches. Um, I think if he gets some takedowns and wear Paulo Costa out, I think that can be something that'll cause some issues as well. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to pick the underdog here. I think Vittori gets it done by upset. I love that. My Northern Italian brother from another mother, Marvin, Marvin Vittori is going to get it done. <laughs> Jonathan Ramlikon, thank you so much, man. Everybody make sure you follow him on Twitter at three piece combo. It's your one-stop shop. Whether you want to get uh combat sports uh, news and opinions, Jonathan does that at a very high level post fight shows and also uh, tremendous NBA coverage as well. Jonathan, thank you so much, man. And enjoy the heat game tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Have a great night guys.
I love it. Two awesome minutes. stuff. And and James, uh, I, I want I want to give you uh, a chance to weigh in, uh, pun intended, on this as well. <laughs> You know, with Costa, with Costa's weight, um, what, what are your takeaways from this? Like, should this fight even be happening? Is this setting a bad precedent? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's not a precedent because your boy set the precedent. Uh, you know, Nick Diaz, in in my opinion, and and as Jonathan mentioned, it there may be differences in the situation, but I think if Nick didn't get away with it last month, it's already happening. I thought it would actually take a little longer. I, I knew this was setting a bad trend, but I thought, okay, maybe in six months, another guy will try it. Maybe Conor McGregor will try it or someone else with a big name. Now you have a guy like Paulo Costa who's probably, you know, on the skids a little bit, you know, in terms of if he has another couple bad fights and with this incident, he could be off the UFC roster in, in the Bellator. So I think the bad, I think the bad precedent that Nick Diaz set uh, is going to really trick some guys because not everybody does not everyone has the same leverage as Nick Diaz has. Paulo Costa does this. He loses He loses a fight or two. He's out of there. You know, like they're not going to treat the Diaz brothers like that. Um, you know, but they will treat Paulo Costa and just about anybody else not named Conor McGregor or, or Diaz, um, you know, this way. So I just think it's bad for the sport. It's, it's unprofessional. You know, and, and the thing that, that gets me, I think, the most about it is I would assume Costa knew this two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month yeah. ago. You know that, hey, he's not really cutting weight. You know, he's not watching his diet, whatever. He has some things going on. Let the other fighter know. And then they can mm -hmm. they can kind of have a, okay, Agreed. you know, they could set it up a month late, a month ago and say, hey, let's have a catchweight bout a month ago. Don't show up to fight week and then put it on Vittori all of a sudden and make him look like the bad guy if he doesn't accept it uh, to where it's, it's almost like the drama is being put, you know, in his, you know, on his side. It's no drama on Vittori's side. Vittori was being a professional. He was dieting, cutting weight, training. Came in, you know, how he, at the weight that he should and was ready to fight. Um, you know, Costa did not, but then he kind of put the ball in Vittori's corner. It just, just the whole thing kind of, it just, uh, it doesn't sit well with me. I, I, I don't like it. And I hope that this is the last of it happening. But I have a feeling that, you know, next month, two months from now, you're going to see another fighter try it. And then later on, you're going to see another fighter try it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last time. Now, before I let Frank uh, give his take, I want to tell one of my favorite Frank stories. So, um, you know, uh, years ago, uh, Frank and I were uh, about to call a fight together at a Fight Time Promotions event, and, and we're both at the weigh-in the day before. And, like, if you think a lot of UFC fighters miss weight, you know, unfortunately, when you're at regional promotions and these people, you know, these fighters don't have the money and the coaching and the experience that UFC fighters have in cutting weight. So it can be a shit show sometimes. Like, you know, there, there are certain fighters, even on the regional scene, that are very professional, will make weight every time. And then there's a lot who won't, a lot who will just be way off, okay? And so one of the best things ever, and I've, I've seen this happen many times. Like, it was pretty common, like, at least one or two fights per event, you would have somebody who didn't make weight. And then, yeah, usually they would still agree to fight, and the show would go on, okay? And so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm at this weigh-in with Frank. And okay, so the, this one fight. We were calling I, the fight too. We, we were, were calling call the fight. Yeah. Fight. And yeah. and I think I think this was even these were even two heavyweights. So the guy who missed weight couldn't oh, even man. get down to 265. Ooh. Right. So the, the first fighter, he made weight and he was a big dude. Like he probably even had to cut to make it to 265, which why he was extra pissed when his opponent did not make the weight. And he and he was clearly steamed and upset by it. And then Frank Zaffrey for and I think this was completely unsolicited. Frank swoops in and he starts giving this dude advice. And, and you could tell the rest of the story, Frank, but you basically 
you talked this dude out of going through with the fight when his opponent missed weight. Like you convinced this guy, don't fight him. And he didn't. Oh. Uh, uh, James, not just that one. I successfully dumped three fights off that card. <laughs> Look, Alex, Alex and I were calling it and there must have been 400 fights scheduled. I'm like, I'm not going to get done this till yeah, five in the morning. There were probably like 12 or 13. There were like 12 or 13 <laughs> fights scheduled. Yeah. So these guys, yeah, these guys are missing weight. And I just, what I would do is they don't know me. So I would just kind of come up behind them a little bit, kind of in the circle, but not in the circle. And I would just start mumbling. You did all the work. Don't, don't give him the benefit. You did the, you put the work in. Don't, don't honor this guy by letting him fight. And then I'd see him like, yeah, yeah, he's right. But they don't know who's exactly saying it. You know? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, F that. I'm not fighting. I'm like, great. Oh, wow. And I just kept moving around. And I just, yeah, I successfully manipulated us out of calling three or four fights that night. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I feel very passionately about this, actually. I mean, that joke, that, that funny story aside, I mean, you know, especially when you're a professional athlete for the UFC, make weight or change weight classes. Alex M texted uh, earlier that they should change the percentage of the purse loss. Mm. Something has to, I agree, something has to happen that makes it so punitive that, you know, if, if, if your opponent feels obligated to take the fight or needs the money or whatever, um, which is often the case, that there's just such a damaging blow to your own purse for being unprofessional and unprepared that you, uh, that, uh, you know, that it discourages this kind of behavior. Because yeah. I, there's no way I agree. I don't know which one of you said it. Paul Acosta, he knew weeks ago that he wasn't going to make weight. Yeah, I think it was Jonathan who said it. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and consider this. I mean, Vittori is ranked, what, one or two in the division? What's his current ranking in the division right uh, now? I want to say two. Um, He's yeah, in the top. Know. Yeah, he's in the top two. He has a lot to lose uh, in this. I mean, he's going to fight yeah. a guy, a heavier guy now um, that didn't cut weight, uh, who's probably, you know, may come in with an advantage in terms of energy and weight and, and, and things like that. If he loses this fight, the UFC is not going to cut him any slack and say, OK, well, you lost to a heavier guy and, you know, we'll keep you in your top one or two ranking. And, you, you know, you're still one fight away from Israel Adesanya. No, the UFC is going to drop him down to five and then he's going to have to win two or three more fights to get back to Izzy. Oh, actually, uh, yeah. you know what? Uh, Vittori is actually down at five. It's Costa who's number two. Oh, Costa's number two. Okay, then that kind of changes it. Maybe, hey, maybe maybe that kind of weighed into it that hey, he can yeah. he can beat Costa and get right back in there. I, I thought Vittori would be ranked higher. I mean, he lost to the champ. I mean, how did he drop all the way yeah. to five? But so Costa, you know, head up to two hundred five, buddy. I mean, I guess Dana White will have that conversation with him. But I mm. I, I think the uh, I think the odds are Costa's out of the league soon. I mean, I you know. I think he's a little bit of a head case. Yeah, and I think he's going to lose badly to Vittori. And uh, I then so you've true. got a guy who, yeah, can't make weight, doesn't really have any game left. Something's wrong with him. So off he goes. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I feel pretty <laughs> confident about Vittori winning the fight. I, I know that Costa's going to try to make it a little bit of a brawl, and he's got a lot of power. But as Alex M pointed out in the chat, he's right. Vittori has never been knocked out before. And I think Vittori is going to be able to take him down and do some work and just control the fight. And I think that... Uh, and I think once Costa faces some adversity, I think he's going to crumble a little bit. So I, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Vittori winning it. So I agree uh, to go with the slight underdog. Uh, Frank, I think do, you are you already said you're favoring Vittori, right? Yeah, I am. Do you think do you think Costa has a little bit of the Ronda Rousey issue? You know, you know, because that fight with Yoel Romero, as an example, I saw a lot of stamina and heart, and you mm -hmm. know, I mean it. 
it was a brawl, but I mean, yeah. he looked like he was somebody w w that we were going to be paying attention to for a while in that division. And then suddenly, I don't feel that way at all about him. No, I don't and either. I just wonder if yeah. he has that, you know, he lost badly to Adesanya, and then maybe that's it. I mean, it's just like I'm not invincible anymore, and I just don't know what to do. I, you know, can't handle yeah. the loss. And, and, and my thing is, like, I, I agree with this, and I, it, it always goes back to what Joe Rogan used to say about the fighters who were super muscular, like the Hector Lombard types. That uh, it's just it's hard to get oxygen to those muscles, bro. He, he gases out. So I, I I definitely see Vittori as the guy with the game plan and the cardio to go deeper in this fight. What do you think, James? Uh, do you do you see Costa or Vittori? Yeah, I I, I like Vittori. Um, it, I mean, it's a close matchup. If everybody came in at their peak, you know, it's it's a really good matchup and actually a fight I was looking forward to until all this came about. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Vittori is is, is going to win it. I mean, he he's kind of coming in with the right mindset, more disciplined. And I don't think Vittori would have taken the fight if he had a little bit of doubt, even a little bit of doubt in his mind. So I think he's super confident that, hey, no matter what weight Costa comes in, I have a good game plan. I had a good training camp. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right, guys, before we wrap up this episode, let's give some kudos and complaints. My kudos, I'm going to bring up a story we hadn't talked uh, about at all yet. My kudos goes to Colby Covington for elite trolling. So in a recent interview, Colby Covington claimed that the reason why Kamaru Usman had to finally agree to fight him again is that the UFC threatened to strip Usman of the belt if he didn't fight Covington. And it's the type of thing I hear. I'm sure he's lying. It's like it's like the stuff that Chael Sonnen used to say about, you know, like I, I did I interviewed Chael back in the day and he and I was asking him, like, why do people hate you so much in Brazil? He's like, Oh no, they love me. I've got a timeshare in Brazil. I'm there all the time. I knew the guy was talking shit. It was funny. Like I'm I'm sure I'm sure Colby Covington was lying about the UFC threatening to strip uh to strip the champ if he didn't fight him again. Uh, but he he definitely he definitely got under his skin with that comment because Kamaru Usman is like out there telling everybody he's lying. They didn't threaten to strip me. And why would they? I mean, Usman has already fought twice this year. It's not like he's been an inactive champion. Uh, I just and this is to me when you're talking about not only promoting the fight, but getting under your opponent's skin, which is something Colby likes to do. That is elite level trolling when you say a lie like that, that some people might actually believe. But my kudos goes to Colby Covington for keeping his troll game on point heading into this fight. What about you, James? Uh, my, my kudos actually goes to uh, Michael Chandler. Um, you know, he had a great interview this week um, as, as far as he knows he's going into a firefight, uh, you know, coming up at, at, at MSG. But he spoke extremely high, uh, extremely high of his opponent. They, they both balanced their they both balanced their compliments, but also trash talking just how you want it in MMA to where they're respectful of their opponent, but they're also trash talking kind of at the same time that they're, you know, you can tell there's some animosity. They don't really like each other all that much. Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, but they're so similar in the way they fight. They're so similar in their backgrounds, both wrestlers, both college, all Americans, both won championships in smaller organizations, both trying to win a championship in the UFC. They both taken such similar paths that is they can do nothing but respect each other, you know, and they're kind of meeting right at the top. No pun intended. Cause that's kind of Michael Chandler saying, you know, see you at the top. Uh, but they're kind of meeting right at the top of that mountain at MSG. Winner probably gets a title shot. And I just I just like the banter that they've had to where it's been respectful, but trash talk at the same time. I, I really think they're kind of showing the way of how to hype up a fight without it without it being tasteless. My, uh, my I have two kudos because you brought up Michael Chandler. And I didn't want to double dip on Chandler. And this is not a statement for or against 
vaccination. But I like it in this culture, this cancel culture we're in, when somebody like that will stand up and take a stand for whatever they believe in. And Michael Chandler has dug in on his his right to decide that he doesn't want to get the vaccine. And I thought that that was uh, pretty impressive given the current culture and climate in this country. I, I respect his uh, I respect his resolve. But my bigger kudos goes to the UFC calendar because we're going to get Chandler Gaethje and we're going to get Covington and Usman. And I'm really, really excited to move into some really exciting main event fights. By the way, my complaint, uh, maybe it's just that we have the same first name and he's reading my mind somehow, but Alex M hit mine on the head. The, these last couple of fight nights don't do us like boxing like boxing does his fans. Um, yeah, it's like I, I've had really, and I, I think the one this weekend is going to be better. And I also, I like the Bellator show this weekend as well because I'm a Fedor fanboy. But yeah, these last couple of UFC fight night cards, yeah, I mentioned earlier, like I, I just finally woke up like four days later after that aspen lad fight like these last couple of fight night cards have been bad you know i know that they have these tv agreements with espn where they basically put on shows like 48 weeks a year like they don't they don't take a a whole lot of time off and it's like it can be good and bad because sometimes fight cards that don't look good can actually really sneak up on you and surprise you and i for the most part i watch all of them uh but then it's still like you play stupid games you win stupid prizes like if you if you have enough fight cards that just look really bad on paper there's a decent chance you're going to get a snore fest. And we, we've had some bad ones these last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I'd love it if they would just do less shows and higher quality shows. But based on the way that this ESPN deal has gone now for two years, that does not seem to be the game plan. The game plan seems to be almost every weekend a year we're doing something. And I, I complain about that. Yeah, my, my, my complaint, and now I'll be short because we kind of talked about this ad nauseum a little bit, is uh, the UFC and the way they handle this whole Costa thing and, and the Nick Diaz thing, um, you know, the UFC deserves some culpability in this. They're letting this go. Um, they're kind of putting the onus on the opponent, you know, whether it's Robbie Lawler or Marvin Vittori to accept it. Uh, I think the UFC needs to do more, you know, like like we mentioned earlier, maybe taking more of the fighters purse, 50 percent or something or just not letting the, the bouts happen. But they've kind of opened Pandora's box here that, you know, look, if you don't want to be professional and you want to come in and, and if you have a big enough name, if you're in the main event or if you're a Diaz brother or something like that you can get away with it and without all that, you know, without much repercussions. Now you might lose the fight like Nick, Nick Diaz did because he didn't come in in good shape uh, or Costa might lose, you know, because he wasn't training uh, enough. But um, I just think the UFC needs to do something about it. You know, just don't just let this go, um, you know, with the, just a little slap on the wrist. So that, that's my complaint. I know we talked about that a lot. Damn, James, you and I are like on the same wavelength. I was going <laughs> to go that way. So I got I'll go the other way. I got uh we had uh, we missed last week, but I wanted to talk about the domestic uh, violence issues that seem to be mm-hmm. popping up yeah. a lot recently with UFC fighters. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was uh, Luis Pena that mm-hmm. was uh, yeah that was uh, the, our latest uh, criminal act in that theater, and he was summarily dismissed from the UFC, which basically contradicts everything I said about how the UFC is probably just letting local you know like police do their job and then the ufc will determine how you know their course of action pending the investigation and 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 everything and now no it's just very clear that the ufc has decided to say that john jones it's okay if you hit your girlfriend or wife but you know luis it's not okay if you do and i can't i i just can't i can't jive that in my mind makes no sense it's a horrible look and uh it's not how you grow a sport it's not how you maintain the espn partnership 
It's not how you continue to expand into a casual sports market with the kind of marketing and media partners that they're going to want to earn. I mean, it's just not how you do it. It's a, it's a horrible look, and um, I don't know how he could possibly explain it. Oh, great stuff by all. I want to send a huge shout-out to everybody who took time, whether you're watching us live or you watch this later on, taking time out of your day or your night to watch this. We appreciate it. Make sure you, you hit that like button, you smash that thumbs up button and subscribe to five reasons sports on YouTube. A uh, huge thanks to Jonathan Ramlikan for jumping in as well. And, uh, and yeah, let people know we do this. Uh, we do this every Thursday. We, we missed last week uh, just because of, uh, of the craziness going on in my family, but this is a regular Thursday occurrence for us and, and make sure, make sure you follow James on Twitter at James Walker NFL Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Alex Dono. And even though he chooses not to advertise it, follow Frank at RealFrank underscore Z. Alex, quickly, I, I, I got to tell you this. My Twitter, it couldn't be worse now. For some reason, my new iPhone, I got the new iPhone 13. It just logged me out of Twitter. I don't oh. even have my password. He ah. can't even get on. Oh, no. That, 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 that does happen uh, when you get, like, a new device. There's all these shenanigans. And then, like, if, God forbid, you forgot your password or something, good luck. Like, good luck with that. Go on. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it, it was it was a fun dream while it lasted, the real Frank underscore Z <laughs> Twitter. Everyone enjoy all the fights this weekend. Go Fedor. We will talk to you guys again next week, Thursday night, on another episode of Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network.